When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Full disclosure, we're not entirely sure if we're going to break out in Tourette's or not. We both had that same premonition that we might just lose our minds on this podcast. And this will this is a case study of misinformation and questioning Fauci and the narrative. You just lose your minds. But <laughs> but Dr. McCullough recommended I get you on, and I'm very thankful to have you on. Mr. Nick Hudson, please introduce yourself to my audience and tell them a little bit about yourselves, and then we'll get this thing going. Sure thing, Tommy. I'm uh, Nick Hudson, chairman of Panda, uh, which is a portmanteau for pandemics, data and analytics. We formed in South Africa right at the beginning of the whole COVID affair, um, primarily because we were worried about this headlong rush into lockdowns. So I'm talking about, you know, the really early weeks of the whole story. And then as time went by and we published articles and did analyses of the harmful effects of lockdown, the extent to which the whole pandemic had been massively overblown by the modelers and the media and so on. Um, we began to gather a following. Uh, by about October of 2020, we realized that anything we were saying to the South African government with whom we'd have several had several conversations to the South African media was totally irrelevant because the whole operation was being run from outside the country. And so we internationalized Panda. It's now got, it's a large organization, hundreds of members, scientists from all disciplines represented in, I think, upwards of 30 countries. We need to do another count. I keep on meaning to and not doing it, but we really are a truly international organization. We have published hundreds of articles, appeared on hundreds of podcasts and webinars, and we continued to fight the fight against the bogus narrative of COVID and the draconian and ill-considered policy response to COVID. Uh, when you say when you say being run from outside of the country, do you mean taking taking lead from the United States or and or from the W uh, the, the WHO? It's the WHO and a number of uh, foreign foundations, such as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. There's no question that these organizations place enormous pressure on the government. We've seen instances of funding from the, the Bretton Woods organizations being conditional on doing certain things or not doing certain things with respect to the COVID situation. So there's an enormous amount of pressure from stakeholders, including vaccine stakeholders and pharmaceutical companies and their proxies. Um, nothing, I believe, that is, has happened in South Africa has been free from the taint of enormous pressure from these corrupt organizations. Isn't Bretton Woods, isn't that, wasn't there that conference in the 50s after World War II where we all got together yeah. and decided that we were going to take the rest of the world's gold and say, hey, don't worry, you'll back it with a U.S. dollar, and hey, don't think twice about it if we start inflating it. We'll just pay you back by putting a military base in your backyard. That trustworthy name? That lot, yeah, spawning the oh. World Bank and the IMF. And, oh. uh, you know, I would say along with the Council of Nicaea, uh, one of the, 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 the low points in history. Well, you know, 
Well, that's the end of this podcast because those guys are good guys, right? I mean, they never screwed anyone ever. There was, you know, but never. I never didn't... told me they are angels. They are. They are um, halos yeah, above I the worship angels. the ground they walk on. I know. Scrub yeah. the halos. Scrub the halos above their heads. I'm ashamed to say, not ashamed because I love New Hampshire. I'm from New Hampshire. I'm afraid. To, I'm ashamed to say that I believe that conference was in New Hampshire, the Bretton Woods Conference, which led to yeah. Nixon closing the gold window. All horrific things that decades later we yeah. can now look back on. But I'm sure they're good guys now. So. So looking at kind of the harmful effects of lockdown, it makes me think of, okay, so let's go like World War II, right? You got to mobilize the army. It's not the 1770s where you can just have, you know, the local guys all pick up a musket. It were civil war, we're brother on brother. World War II is you have to mobilize these massive forces, Defense Production Acts, War Powers Acts. You have to do all these things where you got to crank out a Liberty ship every day or a P-51 Mustang every hour. And it leads to this massive buildup which is which allows us to after the Lend-Lease program go in and fight the Nazis and you know and fight the Imperial Japanese, but as Eisenhower warned on January seventeenth, nineteen sixty sixty one about the military industrial complex, we use this thing for a very real threat. I mean, literal Nazis and the guys that bombed Pearl Harbor, but we've now put into motion this mechanism that could be more harmful than not. Now, that's a bit of a dramatic example for COVID, but to play devil's advocate, you know, not as bad as the Nazis or the Imperial Japanese, but very real. It's a real thing. It's not a hoax. It's not, you know, it's not it's not fake. It is a thing. People do die. But kind of like the military industrial complex, there are, you know, unwarranted influences in the halls of power to keep this thing going. Hey, we got a lot of stuff going on. We got some vaccines. I mean, who's making the tests? Who's making the N95s? You can't tell me Mm. that there aren't businesses propped up around that. And so whereas someone like you or myself or everybody in D.C. two days ago, for all future listeners, today's Tuesday, January 25th, 2022, we can all go. It's almost naive on our on our parts to initially go. um, Hey, the lockdowns are bad, guys. It's causing more harm than good. What are we doing? And it's like well, yeah, man, military-industrial complex is bad too, but they're not idiots. They know what they're doing. Do you think that? Do you think that this is a one or the other or a mixture of both? Do you think it's the mass psychosis where we have to keep doing it, we have to keep doing it, and or do you think it's a blend of financial incentives or just the millennia-old human uh, thirst for power? I know that was kind of a, a word salad, but that's my podcast, so. My answer is yes. <laughs> Checkmate. It's all, it's all of these things. Yeah. Um, you know, I, let, let's a really good article that I read some time ago uh, posed, posed the question, um, cock up conspiracy or murmuration? And uh, I thought it was a genius title for the article because it made one think about how all three elements were in play. A murmuration is a, um, a, a, a flocking phenomenon in uh, swallows, okay. and um, it's um, sorry, yeah, yeah. I think it's swallows. I always get this wrong in interviews. It's so funny, yeah, and I'm a bird watcher. So, but anyway, um, you know. So the, the idea is that it captures the idea of emergence, uh, something that is emergent from a co- complex system, a feature of a complex system that is hard to delineate or to deduce logically um, compared to something that is designed by way of conspiracy or a plan. Sure. And then the whole 
story of cock-up is obviously, you know, one mistake leading to another and then people can't back, they have no way of backing their way out of the situation politically. Um, and I think there are elements of all three in, at play. But <clears throat> you touched on mass psychosis. And I think that's a very serious phenomenon that is a product of the planned aspect. There is, you know, the, the structure of the problem is there is propaganda. There is definitely propaganda, and there has been since the very beginning of this thing. That is actually the first thing yeah. that we noticed. We might not have called it that, but the obvious gap between the media narrative and the the reality, the data that we were seeing, was it was enormous. Yeah. Um, so there was propaganda, and there has been propaganda ever since. Propaganda has been supported by censorship and by media control and by social media censorship of, of an unprecedented scale. Now, wherever there is propaganda, there is a political agenda. Propaganda doesn't just happen out of nowhere. Somebody intending to, uh, to implement some or other system launches a propaganda campaign in the anticipation that that propaganda campaign will lead to the distillation of an ideology and that ideology will support the embedding of the original political agenda. That's the structure. Nothing new there. That's how it's always been throughout history, whether we're going back to the Bolshevik resolution or to you know, any one of a number of um, historical turning points. So the question to ask is, what is that political agenda? And how do we begin to describe the agents and actors of that agenda? It doesn't mean that there has to be a council of the 13 or an Illuminati <laughs> or some kind of single focal point for it all. It can be, as you suggest, multiple organizations with aligned agendas Maybe those organizations actually compete and jostle for power. Maybe they even hate each other. But at the moment, it suits them to project a certain narrative, and so they do. In terms of the like emergent phenomena of um, interviewed before Howard Bloom, who has a great book called Global Brain, and it's about just mm -hmm. that, about how these systems from... After this, I'm interviewing Richard Rhodes about his, his new book about a guy named E.O. Wilson who studied ants, but it's the same thing. Someone yeah. E.O. Wilson, yeah. Oh, yeah, these huge masses of ants, and it's terrifying. It's mm -hmm. giving me nightmares, but it's like a meter wide, and it moves along, and there's so many ants, you can actually hear like a light static. But what they do is each ant will step forward to the outside of like the blob for, I mean, maybe a second or two, and they all release their own hormones and chemicals based on path of least resistance is their moisture, is their vitamins, then they fall back towards the center. There's no one, you know, ant behind the, in the captain's chair of the mound going like, all right, full steam ahead. It's this thing moving, but it's strong enough to devour birds and rats and stuff that are injured in the, its path. And what Mr. It, yes. I mean, that's, that's a similar idea to an enumeration. You know, the, the idea with the enumeration of starlings, it's not swallows, as I said earlier, starlings, um, is that the, these, this flock of birds following more or less simple heuristics, three or four of them, um, exhibits a pattern that looks extraordinarily complex. And you look at it and you say, well, those, 
Those yeah. starlings must be talking to each other and saying, hey, let's form a cloud shape. But they're not. They're following very simple rules like don't bump into the bird next to you, uh, always follow the leader, uh, always uh, fly towards the center of the flock, those kinds of rules. And from it emerges what looks like great complexity and something that is difficult to describe and that you imagine has all sorts of machinations going on behind it. The E.O. Wilson um, analysis of ants and so on, yeah, that's another kind of framing of it. There's different characteristics there. He gets into these ideas of uh, group selection and so on, which yeah. is um, a territory that if you wanted me, I could, I could happily cover that stuff because it was on my agenda and I was reading about it quite you know, in a sustained or, you know, continual, let's say a continual, but on a continual basis for maybe a decade oh, really? prior to COVID. But, um, yeah, it's another interesting kind of observation about how, um, yeah, I mean, it has, it has implications for how culture emerges. Yeah. It's- and I think a lot of our problems in the COVID era reflect important ways in which our culture has drifted and been uh, taken over by some very, very poor memes yeah. or a, a poor meme complex. Yeah. It's, um, and the question is, was that meme complex kind of itself emergent or was it a planned event? Did we, did we insert ideas such as relativism um, and uh, yeah, the, the greater good into society with the purpose of engineering this kind of uh, authoritarian takeover, this inhibition of liberties and freedoms. Was was there somebody um, actively trying to do this? Yeah, well, of course there was, you know, but why were they successful? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like the military industrial complex was probably if we could run the earth simulation or even just the last hundred thousand years of homo sapiens, if we could run that simulation a million times, I would imagine that you would find out that it's not just like a a thing that happened. You'd go, Oh, after, you know, 12,000 years and around the time they develop flight, there's this thing that we call the military industrial complex. It's just a, you know, it'd be like multicellular organisms and whether it's China or the United States. Yeah. 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 It's a thing that something like that. Yeah. You know, and another way of seeing it is there always are hierarchies and there always is uh, control politics, power, yeah. power positioning. Um, that's, that's a feature of all sorts of uh, social organizations, as human and animalian. Yeah. See um, right Mills. And the, the, the sort of key to taking the cap off growth and enabling the enormous flourishing that we've seen in the last couple of hundred years was to invent systems of governance that limited the growth of those hierarchies. So whether you're talking about the hierarchy induced by wartime measures leading to a a military industrial complex or the hierarchy of a political system um, or Anything really. I mean, you can even take it down to to small scale groups. Politics is really about the continual war uh, between those who would devolve power through the concept of subsidiarity, where decision making is pushed to the most distal part of the hierarchy consistent with the resolution of the relevant problem. 
and those who drift towards uh, the regist or centralist systems. They want everything decided at the top of the hierarchy because they believe that they are sent by God or divine, divinely or otherwise gifted to uh, look after the world or to achieve better outcomes. Um, and that tension is always there. And what's happened, I believe, in the last uh, couple of decades has been that we have uh, allowed that there is centralist global kind of uh, mindset, utilitarian mindset, to take far too great a grip on our societies all over the West. I think the, the real question, or and you asked it earlier, is why is it successful? This idea of taking over the world isn't a new thing. It, it, I would say it's probably it's as old as you know sex and the rising and setting sun. The the, the want mm. to take over. I I wouldn't say it's worked yet. I would say it's probably in the throes of at least in my optimistic opinion. It seems like it's falling apart. But it's why you know nine eleven. You know are there are there people in power that want to strip away our civil liberties? Yes. Is there military industrial complex and intelligence complex? Yes. Is there a war for resources? Yes. Was there a legitimate terrorist attack? Yeah, probably. We've been we've been bombing the hell out of the Middle East forever. Why why wouldn't they be mad at us? So it's again, it's 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 probably not one thing. It's not the it's not no. the guys in the black hoods in the Vatican doing some Illuminati stuff. As much as it's very easy, but it's also it's kind of lazy cognitive practice to go. Ah, of course it's it's the Illuminati, and it's like. Mm. So yeah. it's probably much more complex than that. Why is it working now and what is what is their goal? 9-11 is pretty – you can kind of look I – mean, let's just really break it down. I mean, what was the benefit? We went and put our military on top of the oil. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of what it was. What is the goal of this? And again, why is it successful? Well, I, I tend to believe the people who talk about it. And, and I, I think their ambitions are sincere. I don't think you have to um, – it, it's always a mistake to place uh, motivations in people's mouths and to yeah. try and second-guess what they actually say their motivations are. So if you look at these guys like Bill Gates and, the, and Klaus Schwab and the Davos set, they're telling you what their motivations are. You know, when, when they – an important realization in this regard is that any time somebody produces uh, – a, a, a description of the future, a prediction, without a critique of it, they are actually telling you what they want to achieve. Okay? So when 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 Schwab and the and and the, the WEF say you will own nothing and be happy, that's they're not just making a prediction of a future that they think you know that, that they haven't passed judgment on or something like that. They're telling you what they're trying to achieve. Otherwise, they would have said that's terrible or that's wonderful because, you know, so that that's the agenda. It's kind of a, a centralist, um, you know, view of the world. They, they have their long list of global crises, another, yet another global crisis for us to adopt a global solution to it. And we have to be resilient and do sustainable things and they must be inclusive and, oh, my word, you know, on they go. And it's all complete crap. It's all utter crap. The, the crises are fabricated and the need for them to be global solutions, well, that's fabricated too. And so when you watch these clowns now at their WEF 
WEF agenda meeting and the head of the European Parliament, Ursula von der Leyen, and mm. Xi Jinping and Klaus Schwab are all getting oh, up there yeah, and yeah. giving it what for. They talk nonsense from beginning to end. It's just this endless stream of jargon disguising their kind of motives towards um, centralist, authoritarian, totalitarian control. It's nothing else. There's no intellectual substance to it. It is as flaky as the days long. Yeah, it's... So, so we don't have to look for motives. Yeah. There are just people out there who are dumb enough to go for centralism every time a coconut. This is nothing new. This is every generation has some of this. Yeah. And we've been napping. Those of us who are have the wisdom and the, the, the who have actually read something of history know that this kind of project always ends in disaster. When you lack the humility to realize that control of massively complex systems is beyond your ken, Dangerous things happen if you get any power at all. Mm. And these guys now have enormous power. They are able to shunt around vast resources, both financial and in terms of um, manpower. Um, they shunt around lots and lots of power. I mean, you see this with the, the WEF's Global Young Leaders Forum. Yeah, They're able to put stooges wherever they want. So you have these clowns like Trudeau Dan, and Ardern and Macron. Sorry? United, Dan Crenshaw in the United States, congressman. Or Crenshaw, like yeah. They're, yeah. Uh, they're all people who they're unable to be interviewed by any kind of uh, vaguely critical person because they don't have in the intellectual wherewithal to, to answer or to defend the viewpoints of the organizations they are representing, basically. And so what's effectively happened is sovereignty has been massively eroded in the countries where these people are in power, and they simply spout a narrative that they've been trained to spout. And none of them are too intelligent, none of them are well-read, and none of them have an idea of their own. They simply regurgitate what they learned in that forum. And you can see it, it's damn obvious. Every time a hostile journalist gets within a country mile of Jacinda Ardern, she shuts down the news conference. Yeah, She's completely incapable. Yeah. And, and that's not just true at the level of prime ministers and presidents. It's also true at the level of public health officialdom. You cannot, here in South Africa, get a single public health person to answer questions from an, a diverse audience, an audience that may have some dissenters in it, or to appear in a debate. They're incapable. They're all apparatchiks. They're all there as part of a machinery to implement this terrible, yeah. you know, destructive system. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I mean, McCullough and Dr. McCullough and Dr. Malone come, can come on my podcast because there is no grand agenda. There's no, they got to yeah. keep a facade. They can talk to me. Yes. Now, now, if I'm being rude, they can just obviously leave the meeting. But it's like, um, you know, it's like Lex Friedman, who I like. I think his Alan Berla, Albert, whatever his name is, CEO of Pfizer. I think that was kind of a fluff piece on him. But he's been trying to get, or yeah. Fauci, Fauci agreed to do his podcast, but Lex said he wouldn't do it because Fauci said he'd only do 15 minutes. And Lex is like, I want three hours. And you can tell yeah. that there is no, I mean, it's kind of like um, in terms of over having this centralized goal. And you're right. You know, when they tell you a vision of the, that's a beautiful sentence. When they tell you the vision of a future without critique, they're telling you what they actually want, right? Yeah. You kind of, I guess it's more, you'd, you'd be more safe going with the guy that's telling you what you fear, right? Whether it's 1984 or it's Eisenhower, you go, that's a, okay, you know, JFK's uh, secrecy speech. You'd go, that's a guy that's fearing this as opposed to we will 
do X, Y, and Z. Again, it's that it's the lack of humility to say maybe this system is big. It's the one ant going, we're going to go to that tree versus the one with many tendrils and it moves around in ways you can never see. A great example of this is um, there was a study, I think it was done by DARPA, where they took this they took like a basically like a huge petri dish, like the size of a table, full of like nutrients and agar or whatever. But it was shaped like the United States, and maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was like just gel, and they put like the uh, the actual nutrients in the cities where they would be: L.A., Boston, New York, whatever. And then they dropped mushroom spores in it, and they wanted to see yeah. how they would develop connections. And obviously, they're going to do it in the most energy efficient way. And they found it was Japan. Japan. So somebody did it in Japan. And they found they're like, oh, these are completely different ways than the subway systems are set up. And they used that to, I think, implement like new rail systems in Tokyo. But it requires mm-hmm. a certain amount of humility to go, oh. That's an for mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah, yeah. Shout out mushrooms, yeah. Terrence McKenna. But like it's, yeah, squeaky clean third eye. But, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, you take enough mushrooms. You're like, what do we need subways for, man? We're all just sitting on a rock floating around a star. But, you know, that's that's another yeah. podcast for another time. But you can see it's that lack of humility. Yes. Yes. Means- and, 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 you know, when, I, when I, I, I have many nights sat there thinking, what is going on in their heads? What is this public health person over there really thinking? Because, because I come from, you know, my, my day job is I run a private equity fund. Yeah. And I have for nearly two decades sat there working on crafting the strategy for business after business after business. And if I've learned one thing about strategy, it's that you need to be really careful. Making wholesale changes yeah. is a really bad idea because the system you're engaging with is incredibly complex. Any single business it sits in a complex matrix of customers and suppliers and competitors and trying to be uh, all super model-based about it and applying your Porter's Five Forces or your you know, McKinsey uh, Third Wave or Three Waves or your Bain Puzzles or whatever the case may be, that's all nonsense. <coughs> you know, what you do is you, you, you try and make some intelligent stats about what will improve your business and you watch carefully, you make the changes on the margin and you see whether they work. Yeah. If they work, you do more of them. If they don't, you shut them down before some CEO with a God complex does too much of it and destroys your company. Yeah. And so if I think that way naturally, what, you know, what, what is the thought process going on in their heads? Again, you know, what we were talking about now, the refusal to engage in debate. I'm the opposite. I get really energized really energized by people coming and disagreeing with me. I go, wow, that's, this is interesting. I might be wrong here somewhere. Let's, let's, let's engage here. Let's really understand what this person's thinking is. So I thrive off it, and these people run from it. So they're very different animals. These are people with character and virtues that are completely different from mine. I'm not too sure what the, vir- let's say values instead of virtues, because I'm not too sure that they are virtuous. But they have character and values that are very different from mine at a very base level. And that's not to be forgotten. It's not simply a matter that their incentives are not aligned with mine. That is important. But there is something deeper going on. It's, uh, it's again, to be careful to not, you know, put their incentives or not for us to say what they're doing, 
but if I can play armchair psychologist, it seems like it's more of an emotional, this is what needs to happen and we'll get there either way or anyway mm-hmm. versus, I mean, like this podcast, like, you know, before we started recording, did I sit down and I was like, well, these are the notes we're going to go over? No, we talked about what if we had a breakdown of Tourette's when we both took our clothes off? Like, you know, I, I come into a <laughs> podcast kind of like the mushrooms and the agar. I go in and I just, you kind of just start, pushing over here if i started talking to you and i could just kind of see your eyes glazing over i'll be like well this is a shitty podcast no so what do you start doing you start kind of floating around floating around eo wilson boom ants now we're going to roll down that way right so it's that you have to wonder what it is and to go back to richard rhodes again just talking about his new book i had him on for his book masters of death about the einsatzgruppen who are the precursors to the concentration camps, right? The Nazis would invade and then the Einsatzgruppen would come in, take all the men or all the women and children out into the woods and shoot them and put them in ditches. I mean, really demonic stuff. But it's so insane when you start to read like their own journal entries uh, as it progresses. And it's so, again, it's so easy to go, oh, you know, it's the Illuminati and the and they're sacrificing babies versus like, hey, man, it might just be some corporations looking for money. When you read the journals of the Einsatzgruppen, it's, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not sick, Heil, Jews are bad. It's a lot of them going, I don't mind fighting another fighting age male. I'm shooting women and children in the back of the head. I can't do this. But I'm told by the higher ups, if I don't kill these kids now, they will eventually grow up to fight my kids. And you yes. have these guys breaking down together and they would they're just kind of, you know, like a bro. They'd be like, hey, man, we have to do this. Like, OK, maybe mm. we need to get blind drunk on gin before we do it. But this is how we do it. And we're doing this because we love our women. Our, we love our women and children. So if you freeze frame that. The higher ups are telling me to do this, even though in my mind, this isn't war. This isn't me fighting another 31 year old. This is me putting a pistol to a five year old's head. But number one, the higher ups told me it's what we need to do to win. And number two, if I don't do this, my wife and kids are at danger of this happening. And so you see, it's not the mushrooms and the agar going, which way do we go? Which way do we go? It's this top down control system to where. To where you don't, I think it was Jordan Peterson that said, if you think, uh, if you think, if you think strong men are dangerous, wait until you see what weak men will do. And it, yeah, exactly. To quote, for exactly. A, I was going to say to quote for a third time, Richard Rhodes, yeah. uh, his book about violence. Mm. When you are distanced from it, when you aren't pulling the trigger, but when mm. when you are behind a desk and just saying, uh, "Get rid of the Jews," and you don't have to see mm. it. You can do six million. Just, just want to. I want to pick up on something you just said there. About seven months ago, I did a talk, and in the Q and A session afterwards, I decided to get brave, and so I asked the question: You know, where are all the men in this? Our children are being attacked. Where are all the men? And I asked it rhetorically. I didn't try to answer it. And I was a bit nervous about it because it's the kind of talk that gets you into trouble because of the other global crisis of uh, gender-based violence and words being violent and all this kind of nonsense, okay? So I was a little nervous doing it. I am, after after all, talking about COVID and not not trying to get into gender politics. (laughs) But the interesting thing was after that talk, lots of people came up to me and said, yeah, exactly, where are all the men? Guess what they had in common? 
they were women. Yeah. All the people who came up to me and said, that really resonates. It was all the women. Where are all the men? And what you were talking about, putting the gun to the heads of the children, that's what's been going on. Stuffing them behind masks, destroying their schooling careers, telling them that they're killing granny, treating them like they need to be sterilized and sanitized and that they're little germ machines. This is turning their brains into mush. These kids are going to, there will be a whole generation of the spawn of these crazy neurotic people who treated their children in this way and encouraged them into these behaviors. There will be a whole generation of these kids who turn out to be, you know, basically mentally disabled. They will not be able to participate normally in society. That's my prediction. If you didn't do what happened in my household, which was to explain to the kids very carefully, listen, there's going to be some stuff you have to do here. It's wrong. And I'm not in favor of it, but I want you to be able to go to school. So you're going to have to wear this mask whenever you can. You get this mask off. Get yourself into trouble a few times. Don't worry about it. Your teacher is wrong. Okay. Yeah. That th- 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 my kids are fine. They're not scared. They know they aren't going to kill granny. I tried to teach them a little bit about the science of why that's true and why diseases are always with us. And it's morally wrong to try and attribute a cause and a source of disease to blame your illness on the person you got it from. That's all wrong. This is not how we should be. They get that message loud and clear and they are not going to be a bunch of paranoid neurotic germaphobes when they grow up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, United States of fear by Dr. Mark McDonald. Uh, I don't know if you've read that, but that is, that's kind of his thesis is, uh, is it came out last year. Uh, Dr. McCullough mentioned him on Joe Rogan and I I finished his book last week or the week before, but it is about that. And why I love it is, is, you know, you, you start you start reading it and you're like, oh, this is that scalding hot potato because he immediately goes into like, you know, the role of men, uh, toxic masculinity. And it's like, oh, dude, you know, what are we talking about? I thought we were talking about COVID. But no, we have to address what is the bottom. And what it is, is it's it's a it's a what happened to a guy? What happened to a man that goes, you are not coming near my kid with this. If I was growing up, if someone came up to me or my three brothers, my mom's a nurse. And she said, if anyone tried to come near us with a shot that was shown to cause myocarditis, I mean, I don't know if I could legally say what my dad would do, but like, my God, you would have to kill us all if you tried to come near one of his children. You don't. Ah. And what is going on now where it's like, well, you know, we're doing it now. We're doing it now. Put the mask on. Put the mask on for your profile picture. Look, I mean, I get it. Okay, you got to go to school. I understand sometimes shit happens. Like, hey, man, I went to private Catholic school. Hey, Tom, I understand you want to have long hair, but the priests say you got to cut it. There's some things you have to do. Shut up. You know, be grateful you're going to school. There are other things, though, where it's like the censorship is in your face when the inventor or when the most published cardiorenal physician in the world, Dr. McCullough, are getting permanently banned from social media for talking about the heart inflammation being put into kids by the same corporations that were fined $2.3 billion just 13 years ago for the opioid epidemic, the real one, the real epidemic. Into the bodies of kids who are already immune to the disease. To kids. I mean, you start to look at And who are not often responsible for the spread, you know? You can, my white Irish face starts to get red. When I, when I, yeah. So, no, I, yeah. But 
let's why are we talking about fear i'm looking for the person out there who's read all four of the books the united states of fear that you mentioned laura dodworth's book state of fear frank ferretti's several books on fear and gavin de becker's book um the gift of fear i'm looking for the person who's read all of those i would like to interview that person because i think the phenomenon of fear is actually a very complex one it's got some evolutionary benefits and some evolutionary costs and something has become something has changed so that the whole balance has shifted and fear is now an overutilized resource it seems like what fear is it fear has a ton of benefits i'm a huge proponent of fear i mean hunter s thompson right hunter s thompson fear is like a wild animal Put it in front yeah, of you. Put it into the title of all his books, right? Yeah, yeah. No, fear but but what he would say yeah. is fear is a wild animal. Yeah. He'd say, yeah. put it in front of you, let it pull your chariot around, but keep a yeah. 12 gauge yeah. trained on it. Yeah. That's what that's what got me into medical school. You know, I wanted to be a doctor to help people, but hey man, uh what gets you up for the ninety-seventh straight morning to study organic chemistry isn't like I can't wait to be a doctor. It's I'm gonna fail this class and I'm not gonna be able to yeah. pay back these students. Fear is great. Fear is what gets me up despite I, I slept three hours last night. Fear is why yeah. I'm talking to you and doing two more podcasts after this and then three more tomorrow and three more the next day. It's why I did 300 last year is because I have a certain amount of time to turn this into a profitable enterprise. Fear is fantastic. However, when you start fearing about things that are literally and metaphorically over the horizon, that is when yeah. it starts to have – I can fear yeah, about. I can fear yeah. about. I got to work hard. I got to make money. Yeah. I can't really be too worried about the Russian armament buildup on the border of Ukraine. You know, and it, I think that goes into a lot of things. And so we have people who are just absolute. They have no immunity to fear. That's what you need. Is you got to be able to. You come in contact with fear, and you yes. know, you know when it's real. Fear. There's someone in the middle of my apartment in the middle of the night. Very real, grab a machete. Fear because Dr. Fauci said if we don't get 18 boosters by Christmas, you're all going to die. You got to be able to look at it and go, no, that's not real. That's not a real one. So so a, a line that I used in my talk in, uh, when was it? Yeah, March of 2021. The, it, it, the one that went viral on YouTube and led to me being banned there. It, it, it was getting 12,000 views an hour after yeah. four days. It had already been viewed by half a million people. It was going bonkers. Yeah. And YouTube pulled it down, even though there has never been a single allegation of any substantive <laughs> wrong statement in that talk. You know, it was very carefully constructed. But a line I used in that talk was um, from Mandela that, uh, you know, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the ability to overcome fear. fear. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what's missing is the virtue of courage has been subordinated in some important ways. Um, There's been a kind of uh, almost a linking of these ideas of courage and toxic masculinity so we beat the courage out of kids we don't encourage them to you know like we used to you not so long ago you'd say to little boys stop crying you know be a man now those those might have been very important memes that have sort of been jettisoned in the schooling system and maybe what we've got is actually a generation of people who lack courage the virtue of courage and when we go through that old 
uh, you know, the classical virtues or the extended list, the one that was augmented by faith, hope, and charity, you know. Maybe when we go through that list, we kind of what we, we, we ought to stop a bit and think about what courage actually means and, and whether we don't need to be pumping this one up a bit because when I look around me, I see 35-year-old doctors who were not at any risk to COVID at any point if they bothered to even pay attention for five minutes instead of running around with their skirts over their head. They would have been able to see that. And two years later, when the vaccine or a year and a half later, when the vaccine arrived, they were queuing up to get it as quickly as possible, still terrified about the virus, convinced that if they got it, they were going to die. You know, that's not a frontline worker. That's an insipid failure of a, a human being. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. I was going to say, and what we're seeing, the lack of, and you're right, it's, it's, that is the, that is the perfect, that is the great quote, right? Courage isn't the lack of fear. That's not, no, 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 that's, that's not a lack of fear. It's, it's being able to look at it and going, hey, we got to nut up, we got to do this thing. Yeah. But what, yeah, let's go. But what we yeah. have to keep in mind is we're not in a vacuum. This lack of courage we're seeing, this isn't a generation. This is a generation in the United States. There's other countries out there who they're going, Oh baby, they're showing us their neck. They're showing us their belly. Time to slice it open, as has happened all throughout human history. This isn't happening everywhere. This is you're driving variants of courage instead of Omicron or Delta. You're get, you're having guys with their balls dropping, going, "It's time to kill. It's time to slit that throat, metaphorically or literally." And so we do have. We, it has been pounded out of us to that is toxic masculinity, right? To stand up and to stare it down and. And to, and to fight against it and to do what you know is right. But yeah. I also believe that in terms of, again, these sort of grand schemes, the birds flying together, the ants moving, this is also a, I think we, we are seeing on a meta theme that maybe I won't be able to look back on accurately till the end of my life, God willing, it's in a long time, I'm 31 now, is that what we're seeing is it's right. It's the, it's the meme, you know, hard times make strong men, strong men, good times, good times, weak men, weak men, bad times. I think what we're seeing right Mm -hmm. now is we're seeing uh, the effects of a lack of courage and a lack of masculinity. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean some, you know, women get back in the kitchen. No, not at all. It means. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's the straw man that they used to attack us, Mm -hmm. which is when we just go Tourette's and, you know, deflect them and start screaming. But like, I think what we're seeing right now on a meta scale is I'm hopeful that I don't think all of these kids are going to grow up to be even worse. I think they're going to grow up having seen what happened and they're going, I'm going to death. It's the punk rock kids, right? It's the, it's the greatest generation. And then it's the baby boomers growing hair down to their ass and taking acid. It's like, what? They were storming the beaches of Normandy and you guys are in Woodstock. There is that just general rebellion. So I think what we're going to see, hopefully some will be lost forever. But I think we're going to see a lot of kids who it's going to be the new punk rock to be a man. I, I just do because you're going to see the effect because what they're all going to grow up with. They're going to I grew up, you know, 9-11 happened when I was in 11th grade. There are going to be a lot of kids growing up like, hey, yeah, it's kind of weird. Remember when all my friends started getting heart attacks in middle school? They're going to know that they're going to know what it's like to not everyone gets to play football in high school because Bobby and and John and Jack over there, they all got the shot at seven years old. And it's because their dad it's because their dads were pussies. That's what I think is going to happen. I think we are going to see a positive feedback. 
that's just perhaps my hopefulism, yeah. my hopefulness, my optimism. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think I think you might. It's it's right. There will be effects like that. The people, you know, there might be youngsters who are sitting there looking at this, and actually, what's happening is they're they're looking at their parents and going, "My God, you guys are weak." You know. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that could be happening, but uh, and I hope I hope it is for their sake. Um, you know, but let's let's maybe just go another layer into this rabbit hole on fear because you know, there are all sorts of assumptions that get made when fear is accepted as an appropriate response. And I'll give you the classic example. You, there, there are very few people out there who I've ever heard questioning the idea of stopping the spread or slowing the spread of coronavirus. I question that idea. I think accelerating the spread of coronavirus could well be an optimal strategy. Absolutely. And what it would require is for somebody to say, right, here we go. Look at what this disease does. There are people who are vulnerable, who are exposed. We need to keep them protected. We need to look after them. And we need to try and get this thing over and done with as quickly as possible because that state of protection, it contains all sorts of vulnerabilities of its own isolation, cutting off from family life and social interaction, those things are fatal in and of themselves. So we need to get this over quickly. So you and you and you, you look as far as the risk matrix of this disease is concerned, as if you're the vulnerable people, we invite you to isolate for a couple of weeks. Meanwhile, we're going out there and we're going to get this thing. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to take it on the chin. We're going to have this. Some of us will be the unlucky few and we will pass out, but it's worth it to save all these vulnerable people who, instead of having a one in a 10,000 fatality rate, like I, a person my age and health would have, you know, when, when confronted by coronavirus, they have a 20% mortality rate. It's very serious stuff, you know? So let's protect them and we go, we're going to take this one in 10,000 risk. And when we're done, the whole thing that we've gotten to herd immunity and this thing's passed through us and, the, the, the virus is battling to spread. So just the assumption that slowing the spread was a good thing to do illustrated too much fear on behalf of the majority of people in society. And uh, I see people on the skeptical community and on the, you know, team panic or, um, you know, team apocalypse. They all assume that actually it is actually a good idea to, to slow the spread. This, this thing isn't really questioned, but it's actually a manifestation of how widespread fear is in our society or how overly dominant it is in our society. That, that notion isn't questioned in and of itself. You know that, what was that slogan that kind of, I think it started in the UK about like shootings, about terrorist attacks. It was some three, it was like run, hide, silent or something. It was if you're, you're gun. I remember this vaguely. Yes, uh, they were all bad. They were all bad ideas. It was, <laughs> yeah. run, it was run and hide, it yeah. was, it was, which is pretty much it. And yeah. versus like you know, take it. Uh, but you can start, kind of see that as a as a manifestation of the. You can you see it bubbling out of the consciousness of run hide. What it, stop the spread? We, we're not gonna. You're not going to stop it. Life's been here for what two billion. You're not going to stop yeah. a viral spread. Are you kidding me? It takes me Vi- thirty years to. I got to make a kid, and for them to be different. Viruses are. They're getting new genomes and phenotypes and genotypes, and they're flipping upside down and backwards, and they got parallel and horizontal gene transfer and vector throwing and everything. You can't right. stop the spread. Yeah, yeah. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> 
No, I mean, I, I would go further. After billions of years of evolution, <laughs> it's a fool who believes something other than that viruses have by now occupied every conceivable ecological niche. They're everywhere. Extreme They've done animals. things that we haven't even begun to discover. They have embedded themselves in our genomes. They have, they have uh, been commensal animals, uh, commensal chemicals, I should say. They have been parasitic chemicals. They have tried everything, and they try it all the time. And so this idea that some kind of novel thing is going to emerge and wipe everybody out it just sounds like a dodgy idea in the first place, you know. I'll, I'll give you another example of the, the fear thing playing out badly. Almost all transmission, or at least a, a, a substantial majority of transmission, takes place in two locations, the, the nosocomial settings of hospitals and nursing homes, all right? So what you want to do when somebody is sick is take them out of the hospital setting, take them out of the nursing home. Where would they go? They can come to my house. If you're not scared, you put your hand up and you say, oh, COVID, granny at the nursing home has COVID. She, her children have abandoned her. I'll take her in for the next 14 days. Because remember, the majority of these people don't need ventilation and such. So you bring them into your house and then all the young people get it and they recover because it doesn't, you know, the children are unaffected by this thing. It's not dangerous to children. You know, many people our age, you've had it and it's just sniffles. Yes, of course, you know, one or two, they had an undiagnosed comorbidity and they had a hard time of it, you know. So what you need is a little bit of bravery. But when we suggested this, we suggested it in South Africa, right? We're, we're a you know, developing country. We don't have lots of, um, uh, you know, state-supported and social security type systems. So we suggested this as a solution. We said, you don't want to be uh, letting sick people hang around nursing homes. Take them into your house. Oh, no, it's dangerous. My children, oh, wah, 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 wah. you see, that's the fear taking over. A great solution. It's a fantastic solution. You take them out of the nursing home or the hospital and you stick them, you farm them out into other into families where they can actually have social interaction and recover and get some care. That would be a pro-social, greater good type response, if you ask me. Instead, we did the exact opposite. We did what in, in you know in New York, you took the sick people in the hospitals and put them into nursing homes. This is the ultimate cowardly step. This is the ultimate of what happens when your society is fearful instead of courageous. Is you get these kind of, these ripples and these greater and greater manifestations of just lack of, lack of courage, lack of strength 100%. to look things yeah. in the eyes. I mean, I mean, I know it's like a tired analogy, but I mean, can you imagine if it was like stop the spread of uh of the Japanese Imperials, like shut down, quarantine Hawaii, they've bombed Pearl Har Pearl Harbor, take it over, isolationism, baby. No, we, yeah. we grabbed our nuts and we went across the world and literally nuked the shit out of them. Like yeah. it takes an effort to, and again, we don't live in a vacuum. We if you don't, they will. It's to say to stop the spread is absurd if the viruses got together and they're like, hey, we need to stop the spread of, of humans. Eventually someone would go, hey, man, they started as like fish and then they came out and then there were shrews and then there were apes throwing each other's poop and now they're talking and they have satellites. We're not going to stop them. Why don't we just kind of keep going back and forth? In the same way that yeah. we look at extremophile uh, 
bacteria and viruses that, you know, digest plastic or arsenic and live at, you know, the bottom of the Marianas Trench and feed off the heat from sulfur fumes, or they can survive re-entry on satellites in, you know, you know, sub 100 degree Fahrenheit temperatures and then through re-entry and they're still fine. Like, hey, we're not getting rid of them and they're not getting rid of us. They're going to be there on Mars. They're probably on the Voyager spacecraft that's outside the heliosphere. It's this duality kind of thing. And the second, you know, if we're both playing tug of war for billions of years, and then I finally go, I'm just not going to play tug of war anymore. I'm not playing anymore. Well, I'm still strapped to the rope. And so the other guy's just going to pull me into the lava pit. That's how it goes. So the idea of mm. stopping the spread and we're all going to be bubble children, well, then our immune systems become so weak that a weaker virus <laughs> will then get us. Yes. And we're going to have to yes. isolate further. There is no way around it. Yeah, all the unforeseen consequences that, you know, we can't even predict these things. Oh. Uh, yeah, any, any action we take to change our own behavior vis-a-vis any pathogen yeah. will lead to the evolution of the pathogen yeah. to reflect that step. Yeah. And it might, that evolution is not going to happen in uniformly predictable ways. We might be able to make intelligent guesses as to the direction. So if you if you start socially isolating, that'll encourage more transmissible variants, right? Um, and so you know, all of these things have a, a consequence from an evolutionary perspective, and we shouldn't be too surprised when those con- when those consequences play out. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you, and this dream of sort of. Yeah, I, I, I go further. As I say, I don't think I, it's not just stopping the spread that was a crazy idea. Just slowing the spread was a crazy idea. It's all insane. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, but there are layers and layers of these crazy ideas. Another one is fomite transmission, which did, had, a, had a close role to play in the, or an important role to play in fermenting fear. What, what was it? Uh, you know, fomites are the surface contact. Got it. Um, uh, transmission ideas that you do big droplets that you spit out that are supposedly caught by your mask. You know, they're, they're going to fall onto your shopping trolley handle and you're going to know, like you touch somebody else's shopping trolley handle and you're going to get the dirty virus, you know. So sanitizers and yeah, off you go to the races with all these measures. Well, that fomite transmission idea actually has no substantive evidence behind it. When I say none, I mean zero. There's no evidence that COVID is spread by fomites. And when you speak to people who are like more into the biochemistry, they say, yeah, it, it's, it's actually, we don't have an explanation for how you would pick a virus up, the, 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 the SARS-CoV-2 virus up with your finger, put it in your tongue and end up with COVID. We, don't, we can't explain that. The polarity, you know, the affinity to water, all that stuff is kind of, no. We don't get that. It looks like it either floats free or on aerosol particles, and we kind of have a theory for how that works. But not this this touch based stuff. No, we don't. We don't know. Um, so the, almost all of the COVID response pertains to fomite transmission. When you think about it, because what are you doing with a mask? Well, it doesn't catch, catch aerosols. Everybody knows that. So it's catching the large droplets preventing them from falling on surfaces. Because large droplets, you don't breathe them in, they go straight down to the ground. That's where the social distancing idea came from, because they will fall to the ground before they fall into your mouth, kind of some stupid idea like that. You know, so social distancing, it's an assumption is that it's spread by large droplets, not aerosols. Uh, the, the perspex 
things in restaurants that are going to stop the airflow, you know, from the table next door to you. Um, the sanitizing, the hand cleaning, the elbow bumping, the um, the whole the whole concept of um, keeping not sharing objects, you know, putting plastic around knives and forks and um, around individual items of food, that kind of thing. That all comes from this FOMAR transmission concept. In fact, it's very difficult to think of measures that don't depend on FOMAR transmission because what would they be? Well, I can think of one, improving the ventilation systems in hospitals and nursing homes, which, by the way, wasn't really given much attention at all. Yeah, um, Theories of concentration, which would go about saying, okay, it's going to spread indoors, not outdoors, because outdoors the thing gets too much turbulence, it gets spread, diluted too much, the inoculum's too low, whereas indoors you can get an accumulation, uh, so you would avoid indoor and not outdoor. Okay, so that's been around in some places more than others. I mean, in South Africa, we have a mask mandate whether you're indoors or outdoors. It's completely bananas. Okay, masks are bananas in the first place, but that that just takes it to bananas squared. Um, so the whole notion, this fear of fomites, was actually key. And I believe the scientists who are on the wrong side of this whole story, they knew that. But the attractive thing about all these fomite responses is they're salient. Those responses act so as to maximize perceived threat because you walk around them and they're salient, they're in your face. You can't forget for a single minute that there's a deadly virus around. If everybody's got a mask on and is running around bumping elbows like a bunch of lunatics. It's, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like how you need the media to, again, World War II, like no one really needed to convince you it was happening. Right. I mean, you see, Mm. you see, you're like, Oh, there it is. There are U boats off the coast of San Francisco, New York. Okay. Like there are, uh, those, uh, those German agents that made it down to that power station in Manhattan, uh, for Grand Central Station, which kind of operated all of, like the trains on the East Coast for the war effort, you see it in Hawaii, or if you're anywhere in Europe, you just see it in the general horizon, and then you kind of get into like a Vietnam's a little more abstract. Abstract, you're like, we, we what? Domino theory, Henry Kissinger, and then you know 9/11, sure, it's right here, but then 20 years in, you're kind of like, what what are we doing? But as long as the media's there telling you about the terrorist attacks, it's here. Versus just looking around and the birds are chirping. It's kind of that same thing. You need to dial up the fear. If we're just walking around and, yeah, I got a sore throat, you know, some Cepasol, okay, versus everyone is in, you know, you cannot come into CVS, put on your face diaper, put on your masks, don't touch anyone, hand sanitizer, make sure you bathe in ethanol every morning. Well, now it's here. Now the virus is here. The virus has come home. It's it's at home now. The, the Nazis are here. The Japanese are here. That's what it is. And so it's very... It's very visual, right? It's the, it's the, uh, it's the, uh, it's it's people putting a mask on their face in a profile picture for Twitter, and it's you're very much so trying to show everyone else that hey, I'm I'm a I'm a good guy. So it's it's virtually signaling virtue signaling with a vice. It's one of the strangest features of our times. It's the most insane thing. They'll be writing about yeah. this for decades. Yeah. So, yeah. So you 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 can see the type. You know, when you when you meet them, the way they oh, you talk, know. you know, the thought process you know, you can, of these masked you can, guys. You can, well, as they say, you can see it in the eyes. Something wrong with them. You yeah. can always see it in the eyes. There's just something where you see it in the eyes. And you're like, so, oh. so, so, you know, I, I, where all this comes together, 
I, I am a member of the actuarial profession. Mm-hmm. Right? That's my qualification. I haven't practiced as an actuary for decades because I kind of got into, yeah, for me, what was more interesting, the world of investing and building value in businesses and so on. Um, and I wanted to be independent. I wanted to have my own business. I wanted not to answer to anybody. I did all those things. Okay, So I stepped away from that world of mortality tables and pension funds and large life insurance companies. But I'm still a member of the profession. A bunch of these guys have been complaining about me, trying to cancel me, right, get me kicked out of the profession because this guy isn't, you know, doing he's, – he's not supporting public health. He's doing great harm to public health. He's, uh, you know, he's what, – what do they say? He's being offensive to, to people like Fauci. Oh, Lord. Now, so I called Boris uh, Johnson the cretin in uh, some tweet that I sent out. And this is now the basis of a complaint, right? Um, think about that. Yeah, little old me here in Cape Town, South Africa – refers to Boris Johnson as a cretin. And he, by the way, he very much is one based on his behavior in the last couple of years. Um, So I'll say it again. I'm not scared. But these guys will come at you with a complaint. They won't do it face-to-face. They will not pick up the phone to you and say, listen, Nick, you know, what they're meant to do in the codes of the organization is say, I challenge you, is this the right standard of behavior for an actuary to call a sitting prime minister or a, a cretin? Is this really how we're meant to behave? Can we discuss this, please? No, they just lob in a formal complaint. When you try to engage with them, nowhere to be seen. Write an email to them, and they're just about collapse in a pool of urine. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, yeah. It's it's like it's unbelievable. Uh, it, it's it's like absolutely scandalous. Well, again, in my mind, what again is? And, and, and they, they will not defend their own ideas. They be, right. You believe, Mister Complaining Actuary, who's too scared to talk to me. You believe that lockdowns save everybody. You're an actuary. You are a trained statistician. Show me the statistics that motivate your belief. They will, they will collapse. They will have heart attacks if they had to listen to me saying that to them. That'll be the end of them. Again, it's... So they go with the cancel culture. They don't want to hear people saying these things. But, you know, we're kind of seeing this beautiful divergence. We're seeing this real time. You know, it's like when people are like, well, we don't actually, you know, we don't know about, you know, people say capitalism is better than communism. And it's like, dude, look at the Korean Peninsula from space at night. There's a 70 year simulation on a control group and a test group. One of them is black and full of concentration camps. The other one is the technological hub of the world. Which one's working? I don't know. Maybe we need another 70 years. But you can kind of see this though, right? The side that is, I mean, I've been IP banned from YouTube, from Reddit, several of my Instagram and Twitter accounts. I mean, I'm just being thrown further and further into the shadows and I don't care. I'll just keep going stronger and stronger. But the people that ban more and more and more, every once in a while when I manage to weave back into one of those platforms, I can see just in the last two years how much it used to be they'd argue with you and they kind of start screaming at you and after a week they'd ban you. And then it was after a day. And now it's like if you even join a subreddit that is against something, but you can see their actual ability to argue, not just their willingness, their ability because they're canceling and then they're canceling within their own cancel spheres and they're they're canceling. There's minorities to the minorities and the more oppressed of the oppressed. They are doing the 
They are becoming the bubble boys that need to live in a BSL-4 lab because now they're trying to hide from COVID, but now they can't even touch a phone that might have sweat particles on it. You can see their actual ability to art is going further, receding further and further inwards versus someone that's like, all right, I got banned from YouTube. What's Rumble? We're going to figure this thing out. All right, we got to do this. We got to do that. We got to, you know, okay, well, now I can't get traction on YouTube, so I got to get a guest like McCullough, and McCullough sends me guests, so now I'm going outside of YouTube's Panopticon and calling and emailing them. And The point is, is you are seeing in real time their theory at work of cancel everyone, stop the spread. It's the same. Run and hide. Cancel. Don't address. You don't need courage. Fear says bad. Run away. They're going farther. It's 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 taking more and more. Uh, I've got some. Yeah, I've got some predictions to make about those people. All right, they're, they're not going to get married. Yeah. They're not going to have children. They're not going to be able to build anything creative of durable value. They're not going to be able to run a business, look after a household. Oh, this is be Dar- a good partner to somebody in life. This is Darwinian. They're not going to be able to do any of these things. They will be extinct. This breed will be extinct very soon. Wow. And it's self-extinction. It's not even like they're getting. Yeah. yeah. No, Maybe that's gone. what we're seeing. Maybe you and I are being too myopic. Maybe we got to go, hey, 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 hey. Maybe in 100 years, someone's going to pop in right now, some time traveler. He's going to go, you guys aren't seeing the big picture. This is great. Humanity's yeah. pruning itself. We're the idiots. <laughs> We're the idiots. Yeah, they're, they're like, hey, like guys, they're, 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 let it go. Let it go. <laughs> they're self, self-selecting themselves into extinction, you know? Yeah. Um, this is the smallpox party. Yeah. It's just like, hey, guys, let it run. You're weaning yourselves. We're getting courage and we're getting yeah. rid of them. It's good. Let it go. They're, they're telling us to shut up. They're like, stop, stop saying yeah. the secret sauce. Don't tell them what they're doing wrong. But they're going to sidestep evolution. You're right. I mean, you see it in even platforms, right? I mean, social media platforms, you see ones diverging and becoming just the private or the, you know, the, the free and open market. You're, I think you're right. I think yeah. you're absolutely right. And by, and by the time they, reason, they realize they're wrong, you know, when they're on their 17th booster and, um, you know, up to wearing four masks or whatever it is that they're going to be doing by then, um, it'll be too late. Yeah. And, and take you don't, I don't think you undo that amount of psychosis. Well, not even the psychosis. And then you get to a point where a psychosis goes so far to a tipping point because like you could find a mate that is maybe as psychotic as you. So you can't entirely write like reproduction off the table until the psychosis yeah. jumps into an actual syringe that you put into your body and the spike proteins destroy your ovaries and testes. Man, yeah. they are playing well, chess. They're playing chess yeah. against themselves. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, I I, I think sometimes the, the you know it's clear that these are dangerous uh, injections. Uh, they're they're unprecedented in this way. No, no. Any other time we would have pulled these from the market years ago, well, months ago. Um, but so it's clear. But sometimes I think these these harms are a little bit overstated. But what is true about uh, you know the, what we've been saying about people taking themselves out of the individual Darwin uh, kind of stakes. Is probably also true for some of the institutions out there. I've been hearing about large companies that have kind of made themselves so woke that they can't fire people like that. People like that who can't generate anything, who can't build anything of value and therefore do not contribute to the well-being of the company for which they work. 
can't be fired because there's such a bubble of protection created by the enormous bureaucracies of the HR departments and so on. So these companies are in a situation where people who don't like working with these lunatics, these feeble idiots, are leaving because the environment sucks and they can't fire yeah. the crazies. Yeah, because... Guess what? Guess what? Those companies are not going to be powerful for long. I, think... I mean, can you imagine what it's like to work for, for Google? Can oh, you imagine? God, no. You know? Hail stall. So, so yeah. do, you, do you think that there are a whole lot of people in Google who are actually competent human beings who are capable of designing and creating and inventing and sustaining and building something? I don't think there are very many left. I think they've all run for the exits. You know what I think it is? And I think you hit it on the head, and I think I kind of hit it on the head, twined together. I think there's something happening on a meta scale that right now mm-hmm. is very frustrating because we're zoomed in on the it's been 24 months. We got to zoom out. You know, uh, it's like a shockwave, right? The the bomb hits the building. We've all seen those videos. The bomb hits the building. You see the explosion. Mm-hmm. When there it is. Oh, it just happens, yeah. right? You never once went, how come, you know, when I drop my phone, it makes a noise, but a bomb just blew up and I can't hear any. No, it takes a minute and then it's overwhelming. What we're seeing right now is this whole woke culture, be it in business or just the ability to reproduce and Darwinian selection. We're seeing the explosion. We're going, what the hell's the noise? If I did that, I'd be fired. I think it might not take 24 months. It might take 96 months. It might take a decade. And then we're going to look back and, and Google and, and whoever's holding up these mandates, we're going to look at them the same way, same way we look at blockbuster. We're going to be like, oh, yeah, no, you're dead. You're dead. Imagine still having dial-up internet in 2022. It's like, oh, no, no, that's mm. going away. But because they're so massive, they're sort of, they're sort of a, a societal and business inertia. You can be a really shitty company like Google because if you've, you've, if you've, if you've amassed $2 trillion over 20 years, you've still got a lot of momentum, right? You can be a hard-charging guy that builds a corporation and you become a billionaire. And you can give it to your son who's maybe not as cutthroat as you, but you know, you still raised him in your image and he's still a good guy. And he can be a second-gen CEO. But by the time you get to the third and fourth-gen trust babies, trust fund babies who don't know anything but cocaine and private jets, and you look at them and you go, how is that company still up? You go, give it another generation. And it collapses. So it's it's these huge things that it's all scaled up. So it's collapse is probably happening right now, but they do have momentum, right? They have, I mean, I'm, I use Gmail, right? We have all these things. I'm slowly moving to proton mail, rumble, bit shoot. It's happening in slow motion. And we're looking at it going, how come I can't hear the explosion? It's coming and it's going to be a shockwave. I think that's probably what it is in 20 years. We'll go, of course, Google collapsed. I think that's. I think you're brilliant on that. Yeah, I think it's slow motion. Maybe it's. Oh, a, maybe, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a good yeah, thing. A, you look. I mean, I think these things do go in waves. Um, and 
we 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 our lives are too short to 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 see back to the you know where the cycles were. Yeah. Um, but th- there were derangements that led to events like the the First World War in particular. I mean, sheepers. And like something that led to the collapse of the Roman Empire. Yeah. And probably every empire, you know. Um, you identified the one about the strong times, weak men, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, that's one. But there are probably numerous factors in all of this. So we might just be part of a, part of, seeing part of a, a repeating cycle where, you know, the even keel that has led to the success of the human species um, is... It, there's a cycle around it, and we just at one of the extreme points. And um, so, yeah, we all on all sorts of dimensions. There will be a great retreat from these position, positions of um, bedwetting over fabricated global crises and uh, a bunch of puffed up rich guys with a plan for the world, admitting only global solutions. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's really the crisis in a nutshell, right? Yeah, is fabricated global crises, yeah. a long list of them. They're yeah. all they're all bananas, you know. And um, and then you got a, you got some guys above average intelligence, maybe on some scale of intelligence, maybe one that I don't subscribe to, but um, you know some kind of guy who's by luck or hard work or, or, or ability to be criminal has become uh, wealthy and powerful, and that guy's decided he's gonna he's got a plan for the world and. He's, he, making more money is is not the object of interest anymore. It's control and power and winning a Nobel Peace Prize. You know, by the way, I've heard that as uh, being it's been reported as a personal ambition of both Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab. They both want a Nobel Peace Prize. They've speculated about that in private. It's been reported. Okay, whether or not that's true, well, I kind of not surprised by it. It's kind of the mindset, right? But it's kind of the same thing we're talking about. In time, mm. the Nobel Peace Prize will be diluted to where it won't be that coveted thing anymore, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it is, to some extent, it always been has been the, the establishment packing, packing the establishment on their back, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I see Bula, you know, won the CNN Executive <laughs> of the Year award. Big surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. And uh, and, and YouTube's, YouTube CEO, what's her name? Cheryl? Uh, uh, Susan. Sorry, Susan. 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 Something. Yeah. Now she she got a prize for you know defending free speech or something something completely yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Hitler also used to award uh, Mengele and Ambrose and Rudolph and and von Braun. He used to award them with like five hundred thousand marks and like a, in a villa. Yeah. Well, of course the Nazis yeah. are going to pat the Nazis on the back until they're all hanging from yeah. the neck or foaming at the yeah. mouth from cyanide or bleeding out of the hole in their head with Ava Braun. Yeah. I was yeah. gonna say, and we we'll get we got to wrap this one up in a minute because I got a, another guest in ten minutes. Is there's kind of a, a a very optimistic side of this as well. We're talking about the explosion, the shockwave. We're just kind of seeing a slow motion collapse. To everyone who is acting with courage, you are you are building up, and you're wondering how come I'm not seeing the success. I'm doing the right thing. I'm standing up for what I know is right. It's coming. Just like the shockwave, it's coming. Keep doing it. And we didn't get into Panda at all. I guess we'll have to schedule a second podcast because we've just been yelling for an hour and a half about fear. I loved it. I wouldn't have it any other way. 
back to the mushrooms and the agar. You just got to flow with wherever it goes. But um, yeah. Mr. Nick Hudson, I will put your website in the description. I'll put your Twitter in the description. I'll put all the links in the description. And um, we def we we genuinely need to do a second podcast so we can actually talk about the organization because we did that. We did no part of that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man. That's really funny. I I mean, it's no problem. I'd love to come back on and uh, very happy to talk about Panda. But yeah, to all your listeners, do spend some time on the website. There's an enormous body of work there and uh, it's being added to all the time. I I mean, the organization now is so big that I I see material that I didn't even know was in the works. And it's like really high quality stuff that's being produced. And um, uh, yeah, uh, some amazing people doing the work. Um, and people from all from all walks. That's the amazing thing, you know. We, it's I, I, one thing I've realised is one of the the nonsense stories we've been told, and far too many of us have swallowed, is the idea that the the right left distinction is a legitimate dichotomy. No, right. that's wrong. And maybe that's something to talk about on a future podcast because I don't see it. I think it's some it's a story we've been told. Yeah that's caused an artificial polarization in our society. We have people who you would recognize from a hundred yards as being, you know, what you would have considered progressive or liberal or left or whatever in the organization doing their thing, anti-authoritarian. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah. The people on the left and the right are not in this kind of false dichotomy world that we live in who are anti-authoritarian. That's the dimension on which we should organize. Yeah. Yeah, and we can debate the extent of the minor things in our societies, but the important thing is do you believe in the generative, agentic human being? And there are people all over the planet from all walks of life, all kinds of careers, all kinds of ages and genders and whatever races and the whole works, they're all represented in Panda. There's, a, there's an important truth reflected in that. That dichotomy of left-right is, is as, it's as stupid as racism. You're black. I'm done with it. I, I'm from New I'm England. I like the Red Sox. You can't. You're bl- and it's like, well, I'm from Boston too. And you go, wait, yeah. hold on a second. Hold on a second. Yeah. Maybe it's not left, right. It's top down or up, bot, yeah. up down, up top. My, I'm having a brain fart. Yeah. Panda. Something yeah, about you know, pandas. <laughs> yeah. It's you, a, you, don't, you don't have to get together and sing Kumba. No, you know? not at all. You can still, you can still hate uh, each other. It's fine. It's okay. You don't have to be friends. Get together and do something. If you do something interesting and exciting, guess what? Nobody remembers the differences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, and then after that, you can part ways and still hate each other. Like There's nothing wrong with that. You, you're still at the talk show. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fine. exactly the opposite, actually. I think there's a real atmosphere of love. That people are, yeah. you know, uh, we, we really admire each other and, and we have some interesting discussions. Yeah, I've got communists in my list, you know? Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Mr. Nick Hudson, I got to wrap this up because, ironically oh. enough, Richard Rhodes. Thanks, is, Tommy. Richard Rhodes is about to come on. The guy I've cited three times this episode. Wow. Yeah. He, he must be getting on now. He must be like ninety years old, isn't he? He's about there, and he's sharp as a tack. Wonderful. Yeah. Send him my congratulations. He doesn't know who the hell I am, but uh, I, I'm full of admiration. I'll be like, I do, be doing do you know the great? Do you know the great Nick Hudson? And he'll be like, "The hell are you talking about?" And I'll be like, "Panda, don't worry about it." <laughs> Mr. Nick Hudson, thank you so much. I'll email you when this is up. Uh, I'll have you tweet the link, and I'll put all the links in there, and we'll definitely set up another podcast, all right? Thank you, my man. Cheers. Thank you so much. God bless. Take care. Recording stopped. Peace.